So here we are, first recording with the new pins. Don't worry, I'm not going to waste your time talking about it. I already did the stream, and I'm just really happy with it, and I hope it looks cool in the final product. So, woo! It's going to be the standard from now on. Um, one of the first things I did when I looked into this game was try to figure out why it's never been ported to the PC. Now, the excuse I've always given is that it was a mess, like a giant pile of spaghetti logic that was, you know, not really easy or, or, you know, feasible financially to port. And that excuse made perfect sense until I found out this also came out on the Xbox, which was really confusing. So then I decided to look deeper and I found that there was nothing really substantiating the aforementioned mess code problem. So I have no idea why this has never been ported. I really don't know. I can only assume that people said, ah, it's not worth the money. Because there's no, like, legal uh, requirement that I can tell. And it's not like they, that Rockstar is exactly hurting for money right now, so I, I really don't get it. I mean, Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out later this year. Uh, might have already come out by the time this video goes live. I'm not sure when that is in relation. So, I don't know. I got nothing. I would probably buy this game again if it came out on the Switch. Or uh, or on PC, because it's a damn good game, and I hate having to drag out my PS3 for basically just this game and, like, three others. Which brings me to my next point. As I was looking up the why there's no PC version, I found a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. I wasn't able to go into all of it, because I only have finite time, and this is a long game on the PS3, so I didn't really have any cheats, so I just had to play the game legit. Um... That was admittedly a bit of a treat, but an aggravation because of how long it took, so I kind of just blitzed through it. But one of the things I found during that was they didn't make this game to make money. Now, I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but there was no real expectation when they were pushing this out that this was going to be a particularly well-selling game. Obviously, uh, history has proven that wrong. Red Dead Redemption sold really, really well, to the point where RDR2 was greenlit almost immediately as a consequence. But what I'm most amused by is the reasoning that went into this. Oftentimes, studios or developers will make a game without really intending to make a lot of money. Here's a game. Plakong. Right? Sometimes they do it just because they need to maintain uh, you know, rights to an IP. Sometimes they do it because they, it's relatively cheap to make, so even if it only sells a little bit, you know, they'll be fine. Sometimes they do it because they're idiots. In this game, in this case, this game was made to prove they could make a really good game. This is specifically Rockstar San Diego. And that means they made Red Dead Redemption regardless of most of the usual problems that happens from large development studios and cycles and, and production cycles and instead just said, let's just make the best game we could. And I think that's one of the reasons why RDR works so well. Because one of the things that I am still to this day left with the biggest impression for RDR is it is simultaneously a great story set in a game that's wonderful chill run territory. In other words, this is a game that I would have no problems just picking up and playing every now and again, just for fun. You know, one of those type of games. Chill run material, right? Where you can just sit up and play and have fun with it. You know, there's so much random stuff to do. You know, playing cards and, and going after random bounties and just going out and fighting and skinning animals or selling stuff or deciding to go rob a bank or accidentally shooting a shopkeeper so now you don't have any source of bullets. Whoops. Look, I'm not evil. <laughs> 
There's a lot of just random stuff to do. A huge amount of random stuff to do. So much so that it's the kind of thing generally, especially at the time this game came out, you wouldn't really see in a large-scale, you know, a large-budget AAA title. Because they'd be like, no, no, we need to make this safer. We need to make this more, you know, what people want. And instead, we got this, which is what people wanted. I love this game, if it's not obvious. I have tons of praise for this game. But I do want to share a couple of things here. Um, There's just a couple of stories, if you don't mind. Please forgive me. One of the first things I did when I picked up this game was I just went exploring. It's like, I, I you get the mission from Bonnie. I did all of Bonnie's stuff. That was all good stuff. I ended up liking Bonnie a lot. I kind of wish she kept being a recurring character, but, you know, it, it, this game does follow the structure of a GTA game, so there's not a lot of recurring NPCs across arcs. It's mostly just within the, the scope of their own particular arc here. But uh, the Bonnie was awesome. Anyways, so we get to the part where it's like, all right, go off, and and then you head to the next town. I don't remember the name of the town. I don't remember it this time either. But it's pretty much the second town you go to, right, after Bonnie's Ranch. And that's pretty much when New Austin really opens up. And so it's like, all right. And then I just got in a horse and went north and just started riding that way. And I was like, oh, gosh, and there's people here, and there's, there, I ended up taking out some bandits, I don't even know we're there, and then I saw uh, this random woman on the side of the, the, the yard, and I helped her out, and then I found this, this ghost town, Tumbleweed, I think, something like that, where there's just weird noises and a dog barking, and just, I just went exploring, and I loved it. I can't tell you how few games evoke that exact feeling in me. I can think of three right off the top of my head. Red Dead Redemption, Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild, and um, and the uh, Assassin's Creed Four were the three games I could think of where I just really felt that overwhelming urge to just go and figure out what's over there. And the game fully rewarded that me for that and made it an engaging and fun experience. Even <laughs> we all talk about open world games, and the open world genre has stretched out over the years, so there's plenty of subgenres to that. But when I really think of open world, these kind of games are what really come to my mind, where I just like, that that way. You know, I I don't feel like I can do that in certain other games. Even Oblivion, which I love to death, is a game that I can't just pick a direction and go. You know, I've got to have some kind of uh, structure to the way I quest, right? I love that. I absolutely adore that that feeling. Um, But this leads me to my next story. So those bandits I found up north, right? I'm pretty sure it was north. Um, I could be getting my directions wrong, because this is back when the game came out, obviously. And I find these bandits, and I'm like, oh, hey, I can tie them up. Oh, I can tie them to, to my horse. So I just start taking off in my horse, and I start deliberately guiding my horse through the cactuses. Now, I'm not evil, but uh, there was a friend of mine, Gary, I've referenced him several times, sitting right next to me while I'm doing this, and he's just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to see if I can kill him by dragging him through the cactuses while I'm chugging my horse. Which brings me to my next story. So it turns out there's a lot of stuff you can do where the the townspeople don't like it. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. But one of the things you can do, surprisingly with almost no consequence, is hauntying someone and dragging or carrying them somewhere. It's not actually a crime, which is hysterical. So at this one point in time, I'm going through 
initial town. I can't even think of his name. And uh, one of the prostitutes is like, hey, John. And obviously John's like, nope, married. And I'm like, okay, here, tie her up. Drag her over my shoulders, pull her out. And I notice there's a train track. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I put her down on the train tracks. And then I wait. No, I'm not evil, I swear to God. Because what I w- what was actually going through my head was... Uh, yeah, this kind of game, it's just gonna, it's gonna set it up so that, you know, she's gonna be shoved along by the car or whatever. She's gonna be nudged out of the way or something like that. Because they can't possibly actually let you do that. And then they let me put her on the train tracks and I'm like, okay, surely this is just, she's gonna be teleported off or something. There's, oh, oh my god! Like, again, Gary's sitting right next to her. And I'm just like, no, 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 don't worry, nothing's gonna happen, nothing's gonna happen. And then the train runs over her and I'm just like, ah! <laughs> Just absolutely horrified. Like, I can't believe the game let me do that. Holy crap. That's so horrible. Anyways, I'm not evil. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact that this game has checkpoints. For those of you who don't remember the Dark Ages, back in Grand Theft Auto 4 vanilla and every Grand Theft Auto prior, there weren't checkpoints. And that could get really aggravating. Because what I mean by that is, so let's say I'm doing, I don't know, a diamond heist in Grand Theft Auto 4, just to name something at random. And I'm like three-fourths, maybe four-fifths of the way through it. Nah, I screw up and I get shot and I die. Guess what? I get to do the entire mission all the way over from the beginning. It was actually the Ballad of Gay Tony, one of the expansions for Grand Theft Auto 5, that first introduced the concept of checkpoints to the Rockstar format. And thank God for that, because, oh my God, it was one of the best changes they've ever done. Holy crap. But I remember that most strongly in this game, because this game implemented checkpoints. And holy crap, that was useful in so many cases. All right, I'm just going to go in here and take out this base, and we got to take this, and all right, shoot over here. And, oh, go, oh God, I didn't see that guy. Ah, damn it. All right, and then we're back at the part where we're first storming the base, rather than at the very beginning of the mission. Godsend, let me tell you what. I also like the the way they use the honor system. I actually wish they'd gone a little bit further than that. So for those of you not aware, you've got a karma meter. I, ju- I just realized I've been talking about karma meters so much lately. We've got Dragon Age Origins, we've got Jade Empire, we've got Fable. <laughs> but there's a karma meter. It's just karma, good, bad, very simple. It's actually honor, excuse me, it's not called karma. But what I like about it, though, is that you're always a bad guy. John is not a good person. He has his own foibles. He has his own reasonable parts. You know, he's good, he's bad. He, he's a complex character. You can't just define him as good guy or bad guy. It's part of what I like about him. But your honor rating determines... It's kind of a pseudo-faction system, but also determines how you act. I love the idea... And I, like I said, I wish they'd gone further with this. Because as you're running around or in a gunfight or chatting with people, John will be very, you know... Evening, ma'am. You know, very polite, very nice, very reasonably well-kept. Honorable, if you will. If you have a high honor rating, but if you have a very low one, he'll be a just... Ah. <laughs> yep, you're dead, and you're dead, and you're dumb. Yelling and shouting and cussing, right? Be an outlaw, in other words. And I like that. I like that presentation. The only thing that I that isn't a good thing, and I've said this twice already... I wish it affected cutscenes as well, but it basically doesn't. John is always John. They're all fully prescripted, and there's nothing you can really do about that. It's one step in a right direction, I think, and I'm hoping that Red Dead Redemption 2 will go even further with this. We'll see when it comes out. 
I mentioned the faction thing too. I like the fact that, you know, normal towns or whatever will, will treat you better if your honor is high. But certain people will attack you more if your honor is high, or attack you on sight if your honor is high, or won't deal with you at all, and so forth and so on. And the reverse is true as well. So it's a nice little system that kind of emphasizes just how messed up the West still was in the wake of this whole situation. Oh, shoot, I meant to look that up. Ow, sorry, little tidbit I was going to share. I also want to share a couple other things about the gameplay really quick here. I don't have much to say about the gameplay. I do like the variety of guns. I do like the variety of stuff you can do. The The amount of minigames is ludicrous, like I said earlier. But one of the things I like best is the uh, the Deadeye mode, the sharpshooter mode, or, uh, you know, the slow time, the bullet time. There we go, the bullet time thing. Uh, unlike in Jade Empire, where I felt no need to use that at all, here I use that constantly because I'm aiming with an analog. Anyone who pays any attention to me knows that my biggest complaint by an overwhelming majority, like a, a massive margin, was... Uh, with Horizon Zero Dawn was the fact that I couldn't play it with a mouse and keyboard, a game that felt predominantly aimed around aiming with a bow. Now, I got a lot of flack for that opinion, but it was still my opinion because I just suck at it. I have sucked at aiming with an analog for years. I didn't like that about Grand Theft Auto V either. And then Grand Theft Auto V came out on PC and that problem went away. But this game is still stuck on the PS3 or the Xbox. The, uh, the Deadeye mode kind of helps to mitigate that a bit. When, when, because it, it's like, okay, uh, there, and I'm not going to be penalized if I take three extra seconds to do this because everything slowed down. The only problem with that, at least for me personally, was it meant I basically leaned on Deadeye constantly in order to get through everything, even with the difficulty turned down. Because I just couldn't aim for crap. So, like, it, it's weird because they, it, it feels, feels like they acknowledged this problem and at the same time were like, yeah, okay, here, here's a, here's a way to deal with this and we'll just kind of move on and hope that you deal with it. Um, I'm not sure I have anything else to say. There's a lot of convenience features in this game, which I like. I mentioned the checkpoints, uh, the way the horses steer, uh, the way you can get new horses, uh, the, the pseudo-fast travel system. Um, if you want to just completely ignore wild animals, you can get the cart, you know, as a way of safely traveling. I, as weird as it sounds, I don't have much else to say about the gameplay. I do have one last thing to share, though. The place I remember most strongly in this is New Austin, the first territory. Now, I mention that because one of the things I did when I first played this game was I just went off and did stuff. And then I slowly advanced the plot, but then I went off and did stuff. And then I got to the second territory and I went off and did stuff. Because I love that explorative nature of the game. I didn't actually beat the game when I first played it, because at the time I found the main story to be relatively unengaging. I mean, your main opponent in the first third of the game is Bill, for God's sakes, right? It wasn't until sometime later, uh, several months I believe, when my friend Pax was telling me about, oh my God, this, this story is incredible. I was like, really? Okay. I mean, I'm willing to take that on faith. It's Rockstar, right? One of the things that Rockstar, I always find funny about detractors of, of the Grand Theft Auto series is they're like, ah, oh, this game is just rubbish and trash and made for idiots. And those people have, I, I feel like those people have no idea how much nuance and depth and and creative sharpness is put into the writing, of, especially of the dialogue of the Grand Theft Auto series. But I finally went ahead and played through the story and I was like, oh my god, it was incredible. It was a real artistic work. Um, it felt like a story that was written to tell a single point. But it never got too on the nose for me, and it never got boring. It was like a, and I never remember how to pronounce this, a leitmotif in terms of the storytelling. It was all about that predominant theme, 
of the wheel of the past. It turns around and you get away from it for a while, but eventually it just comes right back to you. And this is everywhere in this game, in virtually every major side mission, and most especially in all of the major primary missions. Even Ross doesn't get away from the wheel for you know in, in answering for all the actions he does. And the implication is always left there with Jack as well. But I'll talk more about that later. What I want to talk about right now is the overall feeling of the setting. That this is the end of the era. This is 1911 is when this is set. Just three years before the Great War. And when... Uh, I've argued many, many times from a historical perspective that the Great War was the official beginning of the current era, the one we are still in. That everything changed, like across the board, economically, militarily, technologically, culturally, individually, medically, like there just so many different things. The, the very way we perceive fiction changed from World War I onwards. That's always been my, my, my main argument about that. And of the, the, the relatively few, I'm, I admit to my lamentation, geeks, history geeks that I talk with tend to agree with me on that. But this story then is perfectly positioned because this is not the end of the era. This is, this is right before the end of the era, right? This is literally staring out and seeing there's the cliff. Just three years ahead of you. There's the cliff. And zunk, right? And there's that feeling throughout almost every aspect of it. The, the the confliction between the old and the new. People who are trying to adjust to the new styles, new cultural norms, new accepted practices, new new technology. I mean, one of the first things we see in this entire game is a car being lifted by crane off of uh, off of the steamboat or off of the ferryboat or whatever. And that sounds so normal, I'm sure, to us living here in, in, you know, much later period. But think about that for a second. Think about that kind of thing being considered not just an, a, a possibility, but a normality. But we're still not there yet. Again, it's still starting to push into this new era. It's, it's, it's wonderfully visually presented. But the other thing I love about this game is that it is ridiculously dark. In fact, one could argue that it's very depressing in addition to dark. I'll get to that point in a moment. Um, I'm going to use one example of this. There's a lot of characters in this, but I don't have a lot to say about most of them. Bonnie's awesome. Uh, I felt really bad about Nostus, but I'll talk about him later. Um, and, of course, I'll talk about Dutch and Ross in a moment. But I want to talk about Reyes, because I feel like Reyes is one of the better examples of what I'm talking about. Reyes is this brilliant, charismatic man who I was wealthy, but I've decided to leave my wealth behind to become part of the peasant revolution against Allende, I think? God, I barely remember his name. Mr. Evil Dictator Guy. Reyes is, in almost every way, a classic you know, Game of Thrones court courtier, right? aristocrat, noble, politician, whatever term you want to use. It's that thing. He's set in a different perspective. He's set in Mexico, set in 1911, so, you know, guns and trains and all that stuff. But he is that. If he was plucked up and dropped down in the 1500s, he would fit right in. Everything about his presentation, everything, everything about his delivery, about how he doesn't really care about the woman who he's supposed to marry, about how he doesn't really care uh, about his own men, he's mostly in this for his, advancing his own position, about the fact that he becomes worse when he finally does succeed, about the fact that he insists on, you know, there will be a whole group of kings, right? Sowing as many oats as he can. Like, that sounds rather horrible, especially from a modern perspective, and for good reason. 
But it's also worth noting that a lot of nobility deliberately did sow as many seeds as they could, specifically to ensure that their bloodline continued, that the family line continued, and that family would remain in power. Right? It is weird how much he fits into that. And I feel like he's one of the better examples of this uh, end-of-an-era mentality. Also, quick side note, I noticed this when I was playing through this. One of the games I just kept being reminded of as I went through the story was Assassin's Creed 4. And I'm not going to spoil Assassin's Creed 4. All I'm going to say is that one of the main story arcs, and this is not a spoiler because it's very obvious, is the end of the Age of Pirates. Which sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> and dealing with the impact of that, dealing with people getting used to the new world and the new method and the new system. And that's the next thing I want to talk about, is the system. The game is very strong on keeping emphasis on this system of culture, of civilization, of society, of technology. Because it's easy to say civilization is the problem, but civilization isn't a single thing. It's not even a dozen things. It's a million different things that all co coexist and co-interact with each other in this fabric that is, that is the system. And usually when you hear the terms the system, it's usually referred to as a negative light. But this game goes well out of its way to emphasize how even people who are literally going out of their way to fight against the system, Dutch comes to mind immediately, are people who have to rely on that system in order to be able to function. That there is no real rebelling from it because there's nothing to rebel to. They will be at such a monumental disadvantage if they don't take take advantage of the things like supply lines, like like multi multi countrywide trade or trains in general, or the the weapons of warfare, or the very concepts of pay or trade interaction or bonds and deals with others. You know, all of that stuff is still a part of this civilization. And Dutch, he he himself says it. His his death scene is great. Let me just say, holy crap. Um, but he himself says, you know, this is the paradox. I cannot win this fight, but I have to keep fighting. This is what I believe in. This is who I am. I am too old to change, and I have no interest in changing. And he finally ends up taking his own life because it is the last thing he could do to fight this system. And, of course... It is an utter failure. In so doing, he perpetuates the system. Uh, his death enables Ross to get all of the all the medals that are plucked onto his chest. The FBI, could, you know, uses this success to propel itself to actually becoming a fully fledged power within the, the you know within the United States. Um, all of this just pushes everything forward even further. There's nothing he can do, and that's the wonderfully depressing part about this game because. Well, he couldn't get away with it. He couldn't get away from it. One of the recurring points throughout the, the entire game is that John is not a good person. And you yourself can determine to some extent or another how much of a good or a bad person you are. But I bring that up because even John, who is portrayed as one of the better people in the game, is still someone who robbed people at gunpoint and killed people regularly. I think... John is probably one of the better protagonists in a Grand Theft Auto game. And I know that sounds like a weird thing. I've always liked the GTA protagonists who are not completely psychotic monsters. Like like back in GTA 3, for example. That was just, whoa! Um, but for, in basic... Oh, and Vice City, actually. Although he was still cool, but in Vice City and 3, you are playing a monster. And there's nothing redeeming about you. San Andreas began that trend. Let's kind of start graying them out a bit and making them a little bit better of people. They're still not good people, 
But, you know, San Andreas pushed that. Um, Four pushed that pretty hard. Nico Bellic, who is a very violent person who has done horrible things in his life and nevertheless has significantly redeeming traits to him. But John, I feel like John hits the nail on the head perfectly because you can't define John with one sentence, with one bullet point. He is a fleshed-out, complex character. Someone who has done bad things for bad reasons, who has done bad things for good reasons, who has done good things for bad reasons, and who has done good things for good reasons. This is someone whose biggest desire is to get away from his old life, not necessarily because he's attempting to redeem himself, although that's debatable, but because he just wants to be done with it. He's sick of it, and he wants to move on to this other life, which he thinks is going to be better, and might have been. We'll never actually know on that one, will we? Because that final mission, holy crap. Uh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, he is as much a victim of all of this system problem as everyone else is. There's a wonderful little bit of irony, and I actually missed this my first time through, that John, who was like, I just want to, okay, I've done horrible stuff. I'm done with it. I just want to go home to my family. I want to retire. Ross who is not a good person, who's an asshole, just to put it as nicely as I can, but Ross, who is not a good person, who does not, who just, I'm done with this, I just want to go home and go to my family. But he keeps getting dragged back into it too. And funnily enough, both men die for it. Because that's the nature of that circle, that wheel. It just keeps kind of turning around like that. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that theme, but that is everywhere. And again, most strongly within John, Ross, and Jack. I'm one of those people to slip back into gameplay for a moment. I loved the entirety of the finale. The final mission with Dutch was exactly what you'd expect from a big, massive fight against this overwhelming enemy with a superior position and charge to the base. And Okay, big, awesome, climactic finish. Okay, we're done. Why is the game still going? I've heard a lot of people complain about this, and no judgment if you do, but I love the next section because everything about it forces the player in gameplay to accept and acknowledge the story. He gets home and there's not some big wonderful thing, right? His wife's like, what took you so long? They're, bar they're struggling. They're having financial problems at the ranch. His son is still awkward with him, barely even knows how to talk to him. And he has to do all these ranch work because they're not doing well. His grand reward is getting to go back to a normal life with normal problems. A normal life that has problems. And so you run around trying to do these relatively ordinary missions, and the player is forced to see exactly what has come of all of his efforts, of his Herculean efforts, and his massive rampage across tons of territory to bring bad men to justice, culminates in a sad life on a ranch. And then, of course, that's when Ross shows up. I've been thinking for a while about why Ross didn't just shoot him when he could. Because he could have. Dutch is dead. He could have just gone, bam, and that's the end of it. I have a question for you before I give my own answer. Why do you think Ross decided to give him those days or weeks or whatever on the ranch before going after him? Now, I have my own answer, of course. I think it's a twofold thing. I think that Ross wanted to take him down properly. Basically to say, okay, 
You know, he's gone back home, you know, ladies and gentlemen, my superiors, I have found the last member of the Dutch gang, or what the hell, you know, I've, I've found him, I've tracked him down, I'm going to need, you know, this many men, I'm going to be this many arms, we're going to go, we're going to take him down. Using Mar, Mar Marston, excuse me, almost said Marsh, using John as that excuse, as that final pin, he is the final member of the gang, and this will be the definitive point, because even though... Functionally, he has succeeded in his bring lawfulness to the lawless West, has already been accomplished. People, especially when it comes to the political side of things, like to have something more definitive. This is exactly when this happened. This is the, def is the you know, the pkong. This is the terminating point, even though it actually started. It's like, it's like discussing the fall of Rome, the third Rome. With, with historians. When exactly is the fall of Rome? And a lot of people tend to pick the really big, you know, strong, obvious points, even though it started earlier. Same kind of concept. No judgment, again. So that's my thinking. He wanted that big final, I'm gonna go after the final member of the gang and finally conclude this proper lag. I don't think there was anything good in Ross to do that, personally. Although I do also think that part of the reason that, you know, they didn't try to sneak up on him and kill him in the middle of the night, is to give him the possibility of getting the family out of there. Because for all of the horrible things that Ross is and does, and he is more than willing to be a terrible person to get his job done, I don't think he would see the purpose in just outright gunning down Jack and... Oh, God, I can't think of her name. Uh, I can't think of her name. John's wife. <laughs> in cold blood like that. It's like, all right, no need to, right? No need to. And he dies for that, actually, funnily enough. And that brings me to my final point. We... Ross, in many ways, really is the villain of the game. Um, in, in, and that's good, and that works, and that's awesome. But he's not typical. It would be so easy to make him a typical greedy corporate bastard. Or a typical horrible, evil government bastard. But instead... Just like with John, there are layers to him. There's more than a single bullet point to define Ross. Because we do see he has traits other than being a bastard, and he does have the ability to think or to be decent or to have actual points. I like to think that Ross is someone who enjoys the glory, but it also happens to be right. In other words, that he is doing this his overall job of pacifying the West for both selfish and selfless reasons. He wants that glory. He wants those medals. He wants to be recognized and have the rewards of wealth and privilege. But the West is also a terrible, horrible place. I jotted down a couple of examples here. Um, the old woman who is probably not a ghost, but may actually be a ghost, who begs you to find her fiancé who's been dead for 20 years. Uh, Beaumont the Burley, or Bo Beaumont the Burley. I'm not sure how you're actually supposed to say that, because it's, you know, it's a silent film. But, you know, a little cartoon of, ha, 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 woman's suffrage, how ridiculous, and then he gets killed. Um, Nostus, I mentioned him earlier. Nostus, who is one of the very, very few genuinely decent, nice people in this thing, who dies suddenly and abruptly in a rather unpleasant fashion for basically no good reason. Right? Speaking of which, death is cheap. Real cheap. Death is cheap in gameplay, in addition to in story. You know how easy it is to go on a rampage and then hand over a couple bucks 
It's not, I mean, it's, it's a little more expensive than that. But it is not that expensive to pay off your bounty and say, here you go, officer. Think about that for a second. Think about running into town, shooting some people down, and handing some money to the local constabulary. Like, here you go. That's... <laughs> the... Um, all of the Strangers missions are probably one of the most predominant examples of this. Um, including Jenny, which I'll talk about in just a second. But even right at the very beginning of the game, they're on this train, and John is just listening to the old ladies behind him talk about politics. And there's this wonderful bit... Oh, God, I didn't write down word for word. I meant to write it down word for word. Shoot. About the idea of... Well, you know, the natives... I thought I wrote it down. No, I didn't. It's just the natives. She's talking about the natives and how... Um, they had their chance to move or something like that, and now they have the, and now they're in heaven. You know, she pr practically flat out says that it's not a big deal now that they're all frickin' dead, right? Like, we're bringing the, the ones who are alive get the benefits of civilization, and the ones who are dead are closer to heaven. So it's good no matter what. We see just how decrepit and rotten and violent and horrible things are. This is probably, uh, in co total contrast to Assassin's Creed 4, this does not romanticize the Old West. It makes it look like a f bloated, misshapen, miscolored corpse left out to dry in the sun. I have had the misfortune of seeing corpses like that in my real life, and for those of you not aware, the body just gets weird as it starts to blow it up and things become a little bit weird and your skin kind of changes color because because your body's basically eating itself, right? It looks really, really gross and horrible and unpleasant. And that's kind of what Red Dead Redemption is. In a good way, don't mistake me. It never really, well, okay. It only occasionally crosses the line for me. But every time it crosses the line, it does so in implication rather than flat out showing it. So I would actually go so far as to say Red Dead Redemption never actually crossed the line for me. For all of the implications and for all of the horribleness, they never stepped past the line of acceptability for me, which is certainly telling and part of why I love it and why I say it's such a dark work without being grittier or darkier. I want to talk about Jenny really quick, too. It's, it's one of the last things I want to talk about. Because Jenny is this young woman who's like, oh, yes, this is going to be wonderful. And completely by coincidence, I just bundled into her my first time playing this. And it was so weird just seeing this woman just still in her fineries, out saying, oh, God's going to save me, God's going to save me. If you bring her medicine, she'll actually say, oh, God led you to save me. This is so wonderful. And I remember looking at this woman and being like, you're going to die, lady. <laughs> I, I intend no religious commentary by this statement, by the way. Because that's not the point, is it? The point is more, this woman has received no aid from people who might care about her because nobody cares about her any more than they care about that prostitute I put on the side of, on, on the, the railroad tracks. Any more than they care about you know, the the people who are kidnapped um, by that one bandit gang, or the people who are skinned, or the people who are shot, or the people who are being stolen from, or God knows what else. Nobody cares. Why would they? And this finally is really hammered in by the last part of the game, where you play as Jack. 
His dialogue is so apropos as you're going throughout the entire playable epilogue as you either go around and do side missions or try to go after Ross. The quote that really, I think, summarizes it better than anything else is, I was going to be a writer. Now, yes, I know that there's the, uh, the Easter egg in Grand Theft Auto 4. I have no idea if that's canon or not. <laughs> but my point is, Nobody gets a happy ending here. Nobody does. Everything turns out bad for everyone, and the system just kind of keeps grinding onwards. And that's why I say this game is depressing, not merely dark. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this, and I will see you next time.